Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Good morning, all you beautiful souls. Welcome back to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Today, I am very happy to have on the show a hypnotherapist and a fellow Southern Albertan, Brandy Taylor. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Hi, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Well, I appreciate you reaching out, and now you know what a press kit is, so that's good. <laughs> And you can, it's true. And I always had one. I just didn't know what it was called. I just thought they were called one sheets. Sure. Well, it just makes it easier on, on, on this end, right? And now that you are a fellow podcaster, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to start there, but let's start there. What's the name of your podcast and how did that get started? Uh, my podcast is called Fear It Goes, which is actually now the same name as my company. Um, because really, I really truly believe we live in one of two states love or fear and high state love is unconditional and fear is everything below that. It's all the conditions that we've taken on since we were born. But, um, it's so about, are, are you saying there that fear is the opposite of love? Yes, because it's limited. I've heard, I've and heard, love is not. I've heard that before. You know, there, that's always an interesting conversation. The opposite of love is hate. Maybe. No, I don't think so. Yeah. It's devoid of things, but, um, but I think fear is what broaches so many issues. So get rid of it. It's time to like learn how to train this beautiful little puppy and have the companion you want, right? So that's really, Fear Goes, the podcast started as um, the podcast all about taking your fears with you and doing it anyways. And it was about stepping out of your fears and being courageous and moving up that emotional scale and taking taking the chance and starting to do things that allow you to thrive, not not get stuck in survival. And it just evolved. <laughs> it just evolved. <laughs> when I wrote my first book, I talked about uh, some of the different types of fears. I'm wondering which one you think might be at the top of the list. So fear of success, mm-hmm. fear of failure, uh, fear of rejection, all, all these different fears Ooh. that, that stop us from moving forward. Is there anything that's not the, uh, like the most damaging to our life? Like what's your top three? Really? So many, so many, like you think of, <clears throat> you think of fear of rejection and it's why people pleasers come out so strong as one of our identities. Right. Mm. So the people pleaser, we are taught throughout society to be people pleasers, to appease people, to make things easier, to placate. And I think fear of rejection definitely drives that. Um, and I catch myself occasionally in my lovely little people pleaser. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing? That's not being authentic. That's not being true to you. 
that's not honoring yourself or that person for that matter. So, and that's the funny thing is I think people misunderstand when we're doing things for other people and it's not coming from a place of truth. We're not honoring them. We're not honoring ourselves. And it really isn't the win you think you're giving. Does that make sense? How fear of rejection affects people's <laughs> lives. Like, how, 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 how do you see that manifest with people? Like, how does oh, that wow. actually present itself? Oh, let's see. Fear of rejection. I won't ask for a raise. Mm. I won't step out of. I won't step out and start a business that I've wanted to my whole life. I won't ask that person um, that I've been in love with for the last five years for a date. I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. It's the limiter. It is a massive limiter. I won't, I won't write that song. I won't, publi- I won't write I won't, that song. I wrote it. I'll, I'll write, I'll write, I'll write, I'll write the book, but I won't publish it. I don't want anybody to see right. it because if somebody sees it and they don't like it, right. I can't fucking handle <laughs> somebody right. saying that they don't like the, the book because I internalize it. And if you don't like the book, then you don't like me. If the because book isn't the good enough, I'm not good self, enough. But the judgment of self and the judgment, like the, the way we perceive things, right? The judgment of self plays into that 100%. So yeah. they're going to judge me. They're not going to like me. I'm not going to be accepted. Um, I, like I, I think less of myself. I'm not as worthy. I'm not lovable. I'm not all these things because you're stuck in that viewpoint or that perspective. It's amazing. Actually, it's funny. I've never been asked this question before. And as we're sitting here unpacking it, it's true. I think fear of rejection is probably one of our biggest because it really under um, undermines all the truth of yourself, that self-love that, and I've, I've gotten to a point now with <laughs> God, I have coached and, and helped people in so many different areas over these last five years. And I find that almost every single thing always boils back as we strip it down to the bare root cause of the problems. It's always in self-love. It's always in that recognition of who you are and that connection to who you are, that unconditional, unapologetic, absolute love and trust in yourself. And like our world doesn't shape us that way. We have to learn it. And I think the fear of rejection falls right in line with that because, again, it's just we're conditioned from the time we're born. And actually, this is fascinating, but you're actually starting your conditioning prior to birth. Um, About six months in vitro, you can hear, you can feel, you have emotions, but you have no way to process those whatsoever. So you experience them through mom and what she's feeling, and you make minor links, but they're the beginning of your conditions. Right. So, well, and I, epigenetic as well. Um, this, epigenetics how, are fascinating. We see neuroses uh, going intergen, uh, intergenerational, uh, and because it, it's it is, stored, and it's it is yeah. it's stored. It's stored it's in, in the DNA. It really is. Yeah, it's more than but, just uh, situational. Absolutely, I, I I'm a hundred percent believer. Epigenetics is all about your environment triggers um, genes to express or not. Right. So you could have five people in five women in one family and two will have breast cancer and three won't. Why? Right. So why? Why did two get it and three don't? Something in that person's experiences, mentally, emotionally, 
physically, spiritually, whatever, but in your environment, something's triggering it. And you, it's like, we're so unaware more often than not of the things that we actually have control over and power over and what we can do with ourselves. But again, it's just like, there's just been so little training and teaching and understanding of what we have access to as humans. It's just Honestly, it's mind-boggling once you discover it. And it's so beautiful once you discover it. Well, but it's something that should be taught always. Self-awareness is the antidote to so much of neuroses <laughs> and, and other issues. That self-awareness piece is huge. Um, Awareness but, is the beginning of change. Absolutely. So, Can't change something you don't know. No. Uh, going back to uh, the fear of rejection, what is your opinion of what is the root of that typically? What what causes people to be scared of or mm-hmm. not have the resilience to handle rejection? What What's the underlying factors there? Um, for each person, it's going to be different. However, it's always this. So we have a very powerful survival system that is our bodies, right? It is amazing what it is capable of doing. It creates coping mechanisms for almost any scenario that is difficult for us. It, it protects us in ways that sometimes are not so helpful and sometimes are. But from the time you're born, I said from like six months in vitro to about age five to age seven, you're in wide opening open conditioning. So at that stage in your life, you're picking up everything. You're a blank slate when you come out. When you're here, you're just this beautiful soul that comes in and you have no reference points, nothing. So this person smiles, that they like I get good feelings. This is a good thing. So I now have a meaning attached to that experience. Same thing with someone got mad, that's a bad thing. I pick up these as my meanings to all. But as children, we have no logic. We have no rationale centers. We don't think like that. We're very rudimentary in our thought processes because we're just starting out and because we're placing meaning on everything. So mom and dad work all the time and I don't see them all the time. I have to go to daycare and I have separation anxiety because I don't understand why they don't love me enough to be with me. Like, This is how children think. Children think, like, I must not be worthy. I must not be lovable. Um, I did something wrong. Something's wrong with me. Like, the simple associations made as children determine the belief systems you build. So your original meanings create the belief systems. And then from there, the rest of your life is proving your beliefs. You are constantly seeking out proof to those beliefs. And the reason being is because your awesome survival system protects you. And it does this by doing two things. One, I, um, I can, I've done this before. Therefore I can predict what's going to happen and protect you. Number one. And number two, it always thinks it's doing what you want. And if your belief isn't positive, doesn't matter. The mind doesn't think it's positive or negative in that way. It doesn't place that, um, It doesn't place that lens on whether that's going to help you. It thinks that's what you want. So you have to train. You have to train. And the saddest part, I think, that we see today, and when we talk about neuroses, I think everything, literally everything is in neuroses. It's taught. 
We have conditions that can be re, you can be rewired. You can change almost absolutely everything in your own condition. Your own body even can heal. It's miraculous what we are capable of doing, but it starts with training this thing. We were never taught to train it. It just kind of runs loose and does whatever it wants. I like to refer to it as the untrained puppy puppies, bite things, they pee on things, they run around, they do stuff they're not supposed to because they don't know better until we train them. And then the amazing thing happens with that puppy is it becomes the most incredible companion that will work with you, that will love you, that will do all these things for you and help you and be there with you. And that's what we have access to, but no one's taught us to train it. So we just let it go into default, and the default's the beliefs of childhood. All There's, of them. Years ago, I was at a major thing in California with like the top, top speakers. Um, Bob Proctor, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bob Proctor crowd. Like there, it's, it's a small little crowd. <laughs> but uh, yeah. there was, there was a, like a dozen of the Bob Proctor level speakers that were on stage and um the one guy, T. Harv Eckert, was a, I know who he is. Yeah, was a standout for me because uh, he got on stage and says, "So it's think, feel, do, right? Be, do, have, right? Wrong. It, it's the programming. No, it's opposite. It's the programming yeah. because the programming that you get in the first seven or eight years of your life determines mm-hmm. everything else. So if you don't if you don't first address that foundational programming of who am I, what am I worth." And what am I capable of? What's my place in the world? If you don't get rid, if you don't address that programming, uh, you're kind of stuck. So is that where, where you operate with the hypnotherapy? Uh, I have a question for you. Sorry, I'll I'll answer that in a sec. But um, you said what I'm worth. Mm. It's such a funny statement, because again, that's a condition. Mm -hmm. What makes you think that you're worth anything less than Amazing. What makes you think that you're only loved if you're only worthy if I do this, I get these grades, I get that job, I, you know, if I'm doing or, or gaining, then I'm lovable or I'm worthy of that love or I'm worthy of this life or I'm worthy of that person. All that's just illusion. It's illusion. And again, this is why I said it's so important to train. Awareness is the beginning of change, for sure. You can't change something you don't know, right? We only know what we know until we know something different, period. Reprogramming, yes. Like I look at, um, I look at hypnosis and hypnotherapy and many modalities I've learned. Like I, 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 I know NLP. I know bilateral stimulation. I know EMDR. I know lots and lots of different ways to kind of hack through and reprogram. But I found with hypnosis, what I liked the most about that and why I use that, or I just use coaching and a combination of both. Um, But why I chose that was because people get to be the observer instead of the participant. So when you're in talk therapy, for some, this works great, right? I can talk my way through and process it at the same time. And it's, and, and I can move mountains and that's awesome. But I will tell you, the majority of people are not like that. One, they're afraid to face those things, right? Like, it's hard to dig up stuff that's painful. Are, are you aware of the numbers of the efficacy rates of talk therapy versus hypnotherapy? Well, I know hypnotherapy has a success rate of 91%. <laughs> 
So um, doesn't that, it's interesting. Doesn't that matter a lot, though, about the practitioner and also the type of hypnotherapy that they're using? Mm, doesn't that I, th- throw, make, a, make the range change I, a lot? Like, you know, I it's a poor a carpenter, factors. a poor carpenter that blames the tools kind of idea. Um, I think there's a couple of factors. One, when someone comes in, they have to want to change. Mm. Like first and foremost, will is everything like your true intention and desire matters. Cause I just said, like your mind's going to do what it thinks you want. Right. So if I really want to change this, I, I need to be willing first and foremost. Secondly, Um, There is a repetitive um, element to hypnosis for a reason. One, humans learn through repetition. It is how we learn. I can come in and reprogram you in an instant. And for some people, it will be so quick. It'll be one session. We're all good. We're all done. And for some, it requires that repetition. So like it's a two-way street. Can hypnosis help me like green vegetables? And tomatoes. If you want to, if you want to, (laughs) yes, it could. But this is the funny thing too. Like hypnosis isn't about like creating something that you don't want because you'll, your mind will never accept it ever. If you don't want it, your mind will be like, "Mm, screw you. See you later. I'd love to enjoy all the green stuff. (laughs) My my wife would die of a heart attack if she saw me with a plate of greens munching away. Ah, you say that. You say that she'd be jumping up and down. <laughs> I like my food brown. <laughs> and charred. Yeah, brown and charred. Definitely the charred. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there, there are many elements to what helps someone in any type of therapy or what helps people move through any type of experiences where there's emotional charge. One, there has to be a willingness. And it's, that's why I said, I think it's important as um, like to be an observer instead of a participant, because the participant kind of works like this. I have these thoughts. They're terribly painful. I don't want to face them, right? These emotions, they feel terrible. And so now I'm going to talk about it, which creates the thought, which creates the chemical release of the emotion. And then more thoughts, more chemical release of the emotion, and you're in this cycle, and you're not necessarily releasing those emotions. If you cry, that's an emotional release. If sometimes when we get angry and we punch something, or and I don't recommend punching people, <laughs> but like maybe a bag or go for a run or like work out on some weights or whatever it is, but you have physical abilities to release these emotions, or we have ways to do... Um, I do an emotional release technique that's quite interesting. I learned from a psychiatrist who is no longer here. He's amazing, uh, David Hawkins, and I cannot recommend his his um, like the lessons that he teaches enough ever. Every single client I've ever had, I've always recommended his book called Letting Go. It's absolutely beautiful, and it talks about all the levels of emotions, the frequencies of these emotions, what each of these looks like in your life, how like how they're manifesting in negative ways in your life, these lower grade emotions and how to release them. And it's so important to be familiar with your body. And like when you're experiencing an emotion, 
you can literally just go, wait a minute, drop the thought for two seconds. Just put that, park it over here. Where am I feeling this in my body? And we can start to do emotional release that way because your body stores, right? We were talking about epigenetics and we were talking about like your DNA will hold traumas from generations before you. And it's fascinating. There's tons of research on that. Um, But you can release it all. All your DNA is constantly, every year you have new DNA, but it's just replicating what you know. So as soon as you know something different, you're changing your DNA. That's epigenetics. So you have the ability to, like, I'm not kidding when I say we're miraculous. Human beings are so miraculous, but we have no idea what, no idea what we're capable of. And you need to be taught And then you have the power, you have the power to do these things. You have the power to stop the depression. You have the power to literally stop the depression in its tracks. You have the power to stop the anxiety. You have the power to stop addictions. It's funny because over the last little while, I've been thinking a lot about like, where do I really want to put the majority of my energy? Mm -hmm. Who do I really, really, really want to serve? And I, I keep having a few things coming up. Um, I, I, I'm working with transgenders, which is really interesting, um, helping them transition or not depending on who they are and where they're at and what their journey is. But I'm helping them through the process of discovering who their truth is, what their truth is. Some are so in line with their truth and some are not. And it's been. Brandy joined. Oh, gone and coming back again. (laughs) It happens. Okay. You're back. (laughs) okay um it's been an amazing journey just watching them go through this and i'm so honored to be able to hold that space for them in a healthy way that allows them to test and discover and and then own their truth right whatever that is um so i'm finding that and then i'm finding addictions are fascinating to me because addictions are never about the addiction ever they, they might start off that way. Maybe I started taking this. So you know, I'll, this share, I'll share a short addiction story with you. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if you know from my social media posts and that, but I'm, I'm a coach of 220. So it's a form of neuro-linguistic programming. And okay, NLP, yeah, yeah. I, I ran somebody <laughs> through, the, through the protocol. And what we did is we covered a couple of major traumas, 10 out of 10 on the SUD score. Yeah. And we didn't talk about his two addictions we didn't talk about them at all but um the a few days later messages me and lets me know that the addiction is gone of course yeah because you got to the root cause yeah got that's ri- the thing got rid of a couple of uh heavy duty 10 out of 10 traumas and uh yeah, yeah. My, my my urge to do those destructive things is gone gone because that's the fascinating thing like We think that all these symptoms, I like to think of it like a bathtub, right? So you have all these symptoms. I'm diabetic. uh, I don't like to exercise. I can't get myself to the gym or or whatever. I can't even go out for a walk because I just can't seem to get myself to go. Um, I'm sabotaging myself at work. Whatever is going on, right? Whatever is happening. But they're all symptoms. They're floating around on the top of the tub, but something's plugging the tub. Sure. So Brandy joined. Plugging the tub. Keep going. Okay. So if I take one of those symptoms out, there's still lots of symptoms and new symptoms will show up. 
Those symptoms will never leave you until you get to the root cause. And the beauty of that is you get to the root cause, you pull that plug, guess what? All those symptoms flush down the drain. They're no longer there. So taking a look, and this is why when we were talking about talk, talk therapy, being the participant sometimes, you don't know what your root cause is. And talking through stuff, you can get to that sometimes, but sometimes not. Like the fascinating thing is I, my very first memory I was two and Mm -hmm. this memory actually is is quite wild. Um, This memory, I was two, three years old, two or three. And my mom was trying to leave my father and she's got my sister and I in her arms and she's standing at the front door of the farmhouse at the time. We were in Minipore before it was part of the city. And, and my father comes up with a shotgun, points at her head and says, if you leave here with them, I'll kill you. I'll kill you right now. That's my first memory. But that memory was so um, suppressed for so long. And then like these weird memories that I've had doing different sessions of hypnosis or pulling up in scenarios where you're not in your conscious state. Like a lot of our memories and a lot of our deep rooted conditions that are destructive to us are not conscious. We're unaware of those That's why we keep repeating the same patterns or why we keep dating the same person that's not healthy for us or why or why or why we keep doing all these crazy things that we do. And then we get upset with ourselves, feel guilty and shameful, and then continue the cycle. In the core programming, there's one of the mantras that I've repeated on the show several times, which is you can only treat yourself the way you believe you deserve to be treated. Otherwise stated, we can only rise to the yep. level of self-concept. So if I think I'm a seven, yep. seven out of 10, I'm not going to be an eight. You know, if, if I think I'm a three no. out of 10, I'm not going to be a four. I'm going to be imagine. operating. And this is why when people self-label as I am a homeless person or I'm a poor person, uh, then, the, then, yep. it, then it becomes the uh, self-fulfilling prophecy. They create what's called a life trap. And yes. they will self-sabotage and, and create that life that directly reflects their self-esteem. So as self-esteem and self-concept being at the core of things, how does one practice self-love and increase their self-concept? Um, it's interesting just listening to you talk about that. Um, the I am's are ownership. So remember mm. I said the brain does what you it thinks you want it to do. So every time you own something, the brain doesn't want to let go of that. You own it. It's like, um, I'm, I'm going to lose weight. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Because then the brain will go, I need to gain that back. Right? I've lost something. I need to gain that back. I own that weight. I'm going to gain Don't health instead. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be healthy. I'm going to, I'm going to drop that weight like, an old pair of shoes, like whatever you want to label it as, but use appropriate terms so that the mind knows what you're actually trying to do. I'm going to gain health. I'm going to gain fitness. Right. Right. Or I am healthy. I am fit. I am, I'm on the path to ultimate fitness. I do this every day because I absolutely want to. So again, it's training. Because there's enough awareness around that. So you said, what are some of the things that you will do for like building confidence or building self-love? These, I think there's practices for sure. Like first and foremost, there's always practices. I have um, a workbook that, that I've now designed inside my program that everyone does at the beginning. And the first section, it's so funny because 
it seems fluffy and it feels nice and it's all like it's all sweet and cute and the first exercise in it is write down all the things that you like and love about yourself and some people will write three things because they can't think of anything some people will be good with this and then the next stage of that is to take that out and I I give this to all of you because it's a really great exercise and there's a reason why this is it's not light and fluffy it actually has a lot of power this whole first section but it seems simple on the outside. So, okay, things that you like and love about yourself. Write down as many as you possibly can. At the beginning of this, I literally leave six pages of, like, space for this because there should be so much in there because you're, a mir- like, a miraculous, amazing, amazing soul. So there's so much to be grateful for and loving about yourself and about the things in this world that you you have now Uh, part of right but second part of that is now I want you to take that to the people that are closest to you that love you your friends your family whoever that may be and have them add some stuff because a lot of times people see things in us we don't see in ourselves right they see some of our most amazing strengths that we don't see in ourselves so that's like the first practice but it's funny I look at that section and I'm like this is this is how we recreate This is part of our ability to always go back to the truth of ourselves because this puppy that's untrained is peeing all over you and biting you on a regular basis. You should have that should haves or guilt. Guilt is an anchoring tool to control you. Understand that guilt and judgment. Oh, judgment is hilarious. Guilt, it, well, the, like, the, the shoulding. I just did an episode on shoulding on yourself. Yeah. And when you're shooting, shooting all, shooting shooting all over all the place. Over yourself, I've done that too. It's hilarious. Yeah. But it's, it's like this. So judgment is not a human. People are like, oh, it's just human nature to judge. No, it's not. It's human nature to assess things. Assessments come from a truth. They don't come from a viewpoint. They don't come from perspective. They don't have any attachment to them whatsoever they're just like this is what happens um there was a car accident today this car was involved with this car this car ran through a light this car did not that's the assessment not this guy was wrong and i can't believe this car accident happened and that's judgment and i'm viewing it through my own lenses of experience judgment is lenses of experience that we attach to something it's so different than assessment and it's so highly destructive almost always almost always let's talk about judgment for a second what are uh some of the signposts because we talked about self-awareness earlier on that's kind Mm -hmm. of the key because if you don't know you're doing it so how would somebody (laughs) know if they're being judgmental what are some of the flags (laughs) with themselves or with others (laughs) uh i either start with either okay um i found even on my own journey judging others was easier to let go of than judging myself, Mm. right? Because I still held, like for a long time, I still held a lot of beliefs about myself that were anchored in shame and guilt because of my my childhood, right? So, um, and I'm I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that right now. Um, I'm the daughter of a convicted serial rapist and I carried a lot of his shame all my life subconsciously. And it was incredible releasing that and even getting to the point where I realized, oh, my God, I'm holding this. 
and this is why I hide and this is why I make myself small and this is why I don't talk and I'm pretty extroverted and I'm pretty social and I'm pretty so people never knew these things about me that I hid and not that this is important that they know these things things about me at what age were you when, when you realized that that was what he oh, was it wasn't to? a realization he was taken away when I was six and a half and we were very aware yeah we were very, very aware. And he was really abusive all the way through childhood. So, um, like, there, this wasn't a massive surprise. It was. Is he still alive? Yep. Yeah. And he's now out of jail. He spent more than 20 years in jail. But, um, and, and, like, the things that kind of carried through even into my teen years, like, when I was 14, 14, 15, we literally talked about disappearing in the middle of the night and faking our death because he was still threatening. Like he was still doing stuff from like from jail. He was still threatening my mom. He was still threatening us. Like you, it was just, do you, do you have any contact with what him it now? is? No, no. And, but it's interesting because we're talking about judgment and I'm going to talk about forgiveness as well and how unbelievably important this is on your journey to healing. So judgment of self is really linked again to all these things that you believe that is true about you from when you're little. So I, safety was a real issue for me as a kid. Sure. Um, and I truly did not feel loved in that environment. Um, there was a lot of questions about my own worth, like so many questions about my own worth. Cause again, I have no frame of reference to say, <laughs> that this is your problem, this is you acting out in the way that you are, I have no, no way of knowing this, right? So everything was questioned as a very young child and then carried through. So self-judgment was terrible. And again, it was, for me, anchored in shame. And shame and, um, shame and guilt are the lowest vibrating emotions we have. They are such heavy heavy emotions. And this is why we feel so bad, right? We feel heavy. Our bodies feel heavy and we feel so bad when we're in these emotions, when we're experiencing these emotions. So getting past um, self-judgment, one takes some awareness. (laughs) Actually, everything takes awareness, but it takes awareness. But okay, so judging others, If you catch yourself saying, she this, she should have, could have, blah, 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 comparing yourself, oh my God, comparing yourself is totally pointless. <laughs> so pointless. It's an, again, it's the illusion of and condition. It's, it's, the fabri- it's our fabric of our superficial society as well, right? Totally uh, true. Like we're so co- judgment. Co- constantly comparing and judging based on the car that uh, somebody drives. The neighborhood that they live in, the house that they're in, the clothes that they're wearing, the, the way pre- they act, the friends that yep. they have, um, the circle, their social status. It's a constant yep. uh, judge and compare, judge and compare. And these are when people are and doing. Tell the, me when people are. What do, does that do? Oh, Brandy, you're into. You got to let. Sorry, we we, we got to go I back and forth here, Brandy. But. Um, I, but uh, well, okay, it's, it's, it's over to you. You threw me off the track. Sorry, but <laughs> what does that say to you if you're that person comparing yourself to the guy or woman that's living in that million-dollar, five-million-dollar house that's got like the what looks like the perfect life? What does that do to you? Mm-hmm. 
What does it do to you? It breaks you down. It makes you feel bad. It's putting you literally in a frame of thought that isn't about authenticity with yourself. It isn't about growth. It isn't about you striving forward or thriving in life. It's about anchoring you in something you're not. It boils down to ego. And when you were (laughs) speaking earlier, that I was really resonating with that because what I was hearing was the difference between your true authentic self and your ego. Um, One of the Mm. lessons that I'm going to redo on the show uh, again is, because I believe it's incredibly important, is understanding the difference between identity and role. Uh, IR theory, we call it. So, (laughs) because who you are, who you actually are, is not your role. So, the people that are very much left-brained and are the accountants and the lawyers and the doctors and they are very much attached to their social status and to their credentials. Those are people that believe that they are their roles, but they are not. You are the character with which you perform those roles. (laughs) So somebody says, I'm a surgeon. No, you're not. That's something that you do. It's not who you are. Are you any good at it? Are you compassionate? Uh, Do you have empathy? Because that's who you are. Are you conscientious? That's who you are. Not the role that you play. It's how you play the role. Um, There's an extension to that too when it comes to ego and the ego taking on the identity of the role, right? So the ego, I look at the ego very much as this puppy, right? It's the survival system. And it plays out lots and lots of different ways. But we all, like... Caregivers is a primary role, right? So there's lots of amazing caregivers out there that tip too far to the other side mm-hmm. where it's become destructive and it's not helpful and it's literally hurting themselves at the cost, like, sorry, it's helping others at the cost of themselves, right? It's, it's destructive. There's um, the victim. Hello, I was the victim forever because I was genuinely a victim as a child, But I couldn't identify with that from a logical standpoint. I'm like, I'm no victim. But really, I was. And I needed to just be able to be okay, say, no, I was a victim. Now let's reclaim that power. And then, but when we take on these identities and we own them as who we are, again, another illusion. We live in so many illusions of the mind. And they're not, if it helps you, And you see that it's, I I look at it always this way, if it helps you and it helps those around you and you're building something that's beneficial for all, all the power to you, it's it's working. It's a good identity. It's a good role. It's a good, um, because it's helpful. It's thriving. It's it's, uh, creating more life, right? It's us in our, our highest authentic beings because that's what we are. We're creating life. We're experiencing it. We're curious. We're exploring. We're adventurous. But it's it's when we're taking from others, when it's about me and not about the all. And I I often think like, is it creating win win? Win win win, right? Win for you, win for me, and win for everybody else. And we can create those all the time. Every day of the week, it's choice. We what, choose this. What are 
in, in the world of hypnotherapy, what's it best at and what is it not effective at? Hmm. Um, it's interesting because I, I was trained in something that's called uh, rapid transformation therapy, so RTT. And um, I find, because all we do is root cause, we dig into whatever your, your issue is and get to the root cause. Because again, I don't want to deal with symptoms. Symptoms are never going to help you clear the problem. They're just going to create new problems or give you a temporary yeah. Band-Aid. Well, exactly right. right. So, Focusing on the symptoms just helps you manage it better. It helps you it, deal right. and cope with better. Like it gives you a bigger <clears throat> cup, but it doesn't drain the cup. Nope. And it also doesn't fill your cup with the things you want. Yeah. It doesn't give you true space to be authentic. It doesn't give you the true space to be happy and to be thriving. So I, I very much look at the Band-Aid. I don't want to ever offer the Band-Aid. So when I talk to someone um, and I'm kind of assessing whether or not I can help them, there's a few things I kind of look at. So does someone want to quit smoking? That's not usually something, to be completely honest, it's not one that I usually work with very often. Because, yes, I see how very helpful that can be. But usually there's a reason why that person started smoking. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, we start because we're young and we're silly and we think it's cool and whatever. And, yes, there's a physical component. But what keeps you in those isn't what you think. That's why I said addictions are crazy. They're wild. We get addicted to our own chemical releases in our own body. We get addicted to dopamines. That's why, hi, so many people are on Facebook checking to see how many likes I got or checking because they're getting dopamine hits. And that's your chemical happy. That's one of your chemical happies, right? It's one of your neurotransmitters. So I find um, I work with, I work with like, okay, so the things that hypno works well with, God, we can reprogram people. It's amazing, actually. I can I can help people get better marks in school. Like, I can help you pass your tests. I can help you get past all anxiety. Anxiety is a trigger. And please, if you hear nothing else in this conversation, know this. Anxiety is your nervous system being triggered. And just like anxiety and stress and anger, it's not about management it's about learning how to process your emotions so you don't experience these things. Right. When you experience them, you allow that lovely 90-second chemical release, which is your hormone release, as you are experiencing an emotion. 90 seconds. And then thoughts create more of that. But if you allow your, pro allow your emotions to process, you can process them so quickly. The you work, don't have to. The, the work that I do the, with uh, 220, which is the form of neuro linguistic programming, yeah. it, it changes your emotional, it changes your relationship to the memory. So the memory's still there. It just doesn't exactly. bother you anymore. So it decouples the emotion. We change the meaning. It, it decouples the emotional charge so that you can just be the observer. You can look at this horrible thing right. that happened and it doesn't bother you anymore. It doesn't make you feel small yeah. or scared or, or upset. It's just information is all it is. Because it is. Because it is. All traumas have emotional attachments, and it's the emotional attachment that makes it bad. It's that's, not the That's what makes it a trauma. Itself. Yes. Without the emotional attachment, it's not a so trauma. So remove the emotional it's just attachment. That's right. And then this is the wild thing that happens. I said I was going to talk about forgiveness and on your journey. Okay, so we have this, we have this shift. We recognize that. 
Number one, your parents and all the people in your life that do these things to you aren't doing these things necessarily consciously, and actually most of them aren't conscious. The narcissist isn't consciously being narcissistic and only about them. It's a coping mechanism, really. But they do these things because, one, they've been conditioned themselves. Like, every parent wants to be a good parent. They don't want to cause problems with you, and they certainly don't want to um, ingrain some sort of condition that's going to make you believe that you're less than or that you're lacking something. No parent wants to do that ever. If they knew better, they'd do better. That's right. So let go of all of the blame with all these people in your life, first and foremost. And I know that sounds difficult, but it actually isn't. It's like once we recognize that so much of people's actions, 95% of people's actions actually are subconscious, they're not making conscious efforts to to create these issues or these dramas or these pains or these traumas upon you. They're just things happening. And it's how we respond, how we react and react is the reaction of emotion from childhood, the original meanings. It's all based on that. Everything is conditioned from our, our beginning. So if we can kind of let go of that, we understand that people are walking around wounded. (laughs) right? Everyone has their own different types of traumas, their own different conditions that have created their actions that are not necessarily appropriate. We have tons of adults today that are really wounded children walking around in adult bodies. And I love you all. I love you all. Just know that you're like everybody else. We all have things and it's okay to have things. It's okay to get messy. It's important to start addressing them, though, if you see the patterns showing up in your life. So, Brandy, it, if somebody is has decided that they're ready to let go of the suffering and seek healing yep. through hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. how do they get a hold of you? Oh, um, there's a few ways. Uh, but honestly, best way is just to email me mm-hmm. at brandy at fearitgoes.com. Um, I just, I, I'm always in my email, so it's a good way to reach me. For sure. Um, yeah. Brandy at fearitgoes.com. And yeah. uh, what's the name of your book? So the book that I am currently writing. So I'm, I'm in another book. We, we went bestseller, which was really cool. But there was like 10 of us in that book. So I was a compilation author in a book. Um, but the one I'm writing right now is called It's All About You, Baby, How to Live Your Authentic Self in an Inauthentic World. And I'm I'm thinking I'm going to start leaking parts of it in um, on my YouTube channel. I, I'm thinking I'm going to start doing that because there's just so many pieces of that that are going to help you. Um, forgiveness is one of them. If you think of yourself as a container, right? We, we talk about half cup half full, half half empty. But if you think of yourself as a container and you have all these life experiences in this container, right? Some of these life experiences are going to be good and or what you perceive as good and some of them are going to be bad. But if I'm holding on to all these things that are bad, I don't have room for any good stuff. It's my container's full. Would you believe, so gonna, would you agree that if you don't forgive, then you're choosing to be a victim and that, that you can either forgive or you can be a victim but not both well you re-victimize yourself 
See, this is the funny thing about forgiveness. It's not about them. It's about you. You're yeah. carrying this. They couldn't care less. Like they've moved on. They're doing their own thing. They're not thinking about this stuff. You are. So you are re-traumatizing yourself, holding on to all these grudges, resentments, anger, whatever. You're holding that. It's up to you to let that go. And there's beautiful processes to let go, but I've taken it like the way I, I do this with clients is I take it to the next level and then the next level after that, because I do believe that we get to a point with ourselves where we not only forgive them of what they did, why they were acting in that behavior, um, what they were missing in those moments, that's awareness, like understanding you're acting out this way. I did this with my father many times. Um, I forgive you for the action. I forgive you for who you were in that moment and what you were missing. I re- I recognize you were missing. You felt so un or disempowered in your life. You had to steal it everywhere you could but take it. But of course, it. forgiving doesn't mean that you have to keep them in your life. It just means that you're no. uh, not letting it re-traumatize No, it yourself. just means you clear it. And it's funny because I, I'm sure I could see him today. I have no feelings towards him. I, I wouldn't want him to be a part of my life because I, I surround myself with really good people. So I, I wouldn't let, because again, loving yourself means you have boundaries. Yeah, you've got to um, protect your environment. Right. So you make sure that your your environment is clean and healthy and and you love yourself and you love others through that. But with my father, an interesting thing happened after I realized you know, he was disempowered. He was lacking love. He was lacking all these things that created the environment for him to act out the way he did, which was atrociously, right? It's atrocious. And and then I gave him what he needed. That's the that's us at our highest level is when we hit that point of such compassion and understanding of the soul that we go, not only do I forgive you and I let that go, but I I'm going to give you everything you needed in those moments to move forward in your life. I'm going to wrap you with so much love and so much compassion and so much, um, so much acceptance that you'll never feel you need this again. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Yep. Brandy, thanks for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> I had lots of fun. <laughs> Stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hello, my friends. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I hope you found value in today's episode. If you found this episode helpful, healing, or informative, please let me know by leaving a rating on either Spotify or Apple. And please share, share like the sugar bear on all of your social media channels. Because sharing is caring.